welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back with some regular scheduled programming. We've had another unbelievable week in the dub, just like pure, unadulterated dub over the last week or so. So naturally, there is plenty to talk about from all of the games that we just witnessed. But before we get into all of the dub goodness, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, friendos, I, we, we call this the Chaos League. We ask for chaos in the Chaos League, and then the Chaos League absolutely delivers. So, there are some deeply chaotic things we need to talk about and we love to see. So, Angela, I'm going to start with you. What did you love to see from this just unbelievably chaotic weekend of dub? I love to see Victory scoring some goals. Um, but most importantly, I love to see Madsen scoring her debut goal for Victory this weekend in the Big Blue against Sydney. I'd just like it to be known. I think it's called the Big Blue because it's given me depression. The depression, she's come back. Uh, the The final scoreline, I was not happy with that. I just want that out there. Um, victory, you have a lot to answer for. Anyway, but Madsen's goal was very fun and did bring, it did spark joy. Um, she just kind of like put pressure on the keeper and came out of nowhere. She was like a Labrador at a dog park. You know, when you see them just kind of bounding. Um, and then they take out someone's legs. That's kind of basically what happened. And she just knocked it into the back of the net. And it's really been, I, I feel like it's been building up to this. We've been waiting for her to score since um, she joined Victory mid-season. So, yeah, hopefully that means that it triggers off a whole bunch of other goals in games to come because, Lord, Lord, do Victory need it at this point? But anyway, this is a happy segment. Matson scoring a goal in the big blue. You'll have to see it. I don't think Big Blue as in Big Depression was what was going through Simon Hill's head when he coined Big Blue for <laughs> Melbourne Victory Sydney games. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I pretend I do not see it. Like, um, just Melbourne Victory, both men's and women's, losing on January 26th to Sydney FC specifically, just natural for, for decades, for eons. It's just something that happens. So... We'll talk We'll talk about it later. I'm going to quickly jump in with just a couple of you love to see it. I feel like almost every goal in the Brisbane-Wellington game was a banger. Like every single one was just really, really good. It was great to see Shay Connors actually score. I feel like we've watched her do that exact move over and over and over again for no end results. So it was awesome to see her finally score. Katrina Gorey scoring a really good free kick. Water is wet, etc., etc. Um, little Larissa Crummer's goal was also very good, but I think my favourite one was Millie Clegg's goal. Like, you talk to anyone from New Zealand and they absolutely rave about her and I think we're starting to see more and more why she does come with such kind of big tickets on her. Her goal was just... It was just the pure, like, not rage of the hit, but it was such a pure kick. Like, it was such a hard kick, which is such, like, base-level analysis, but just the, the force with which she kicked this ball... I absolutely love to see it from a 17-year-old. I have a lot of feelings about the goal that did not stand for Wellington, but we will get mm -hmm. into that stuff later. But Millie Clegg's goal specifically, 
you absolutely love to see it. But Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? It's a, it's a hat trick of you'd love to see it responses in terms of goal scorers this episode, it seems. My you love to see it this week is Princess Sabini scoring a hat trick in the big blue. Uh, she's huge. She's enormous. She's big Princess Sabini. Um, it was fantastic. A 6-3 win over Melbourne Victory. As you said, Marissa, it is, uh, you know, the death taxes and Sydney FC beating Melbourne Victory. In the January 26th Derby, you know, it's just just how it goes. Like, um, I can't deny the laws of the universe, you know. Um, So Princess Sabini, it's one of the only hat-tricks in her entire football career, which has been really long, considering the fact that today, on the 31st of January, she is turning 23. 23 years old. She's 23 years old. Yes, listeners, I also just shrunk and shriveled away like that scene from the end of that war movie where he like it's it's saving private ryan where he like warps back into his old self just within seconds that was me just then reminding you all that she's just 23 and she's been around for a thousand years anyway princess sabini scoring a hat trick you love to see it i love that i'm now also of an age where i can be like 23 a child an absolute (laughs) child i'm five years older than her it's not that big a difference but i'm like that's a baby over there. That's a baby scoring her first career hat trick. But yep. we need to talk about, obviously, Melbourne Victory 3, Sydney FC 6. Because what? What? I yep. watched that game. I saw those goals. I then watched the replay or, like, at least the highlights package the very next day, hoping to glean some sort of, like, answer to my question of what. And I got nothing. And then I watched the highlights again before today's recording and I just came up with again what with like several question marks so can anyone answer my question of what the heck did we actually witness at Amy Park (laughs) on that Thursday because I I got nothing I've got no answers so if either (sighs) of you have diagnoses or explanations or anything please the floor is yours I think one of this was one of those games where a team has come in off the back of a really disappointing performance and have been really angry and they've wanted to prove a point. And that team was Sydney. They came into this game knowing that they had things that they needed to work on off the back of that loss to Western, particularly Princess Sabini and Courtney Vine. And so it's no surprise to me that those two players were probably the best players of the entire game. Um, they absolutely tore it up and uh, in complete juxtaposition, you had Melbourne victory who just, I just don't know what happened. They just completely fell apart, especially at the back. It was really slow. Their, their midfield just didn't seem to be clicking. It, it was really lethargic. It was just, it was really a really strange kind of performance. Like a lot of their players just sort of, disappeared into their own shadows I, I and Sydney just were like well okay if you're just gonna leave it there open for us I guess we're gonna go and score some goals um yeah it was it was one of those moments where like one team went massively upwards and one team went massively downwards at the same time um and it, it turned into this but even saying that the fact that victory still scored three goals was like <laughs> for people listening we we're just like throwing up our arms into the sky we we're just like just baffled and bewildered about how this happened at all. And when you look at the stats as well, 
it's it was such a bizarre game. Like Sydney had 21 shots to six, 13 on target. Victory had three shots on target and they got all of them in. And they also had more possession, which didn't at all feel like what was happening when you were watching. It was the most um, ridiculous upside down bizarro game that I think has happened so far, probably in, in the season. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, I don't know. I don't know how to, it feels like a fever dream. A good one for me and for Sydney fans, not for y'all. It's a, more of a nightmare for you, I suppose, considering what your goal difference is now. <laughs> Angel looked at me in the face. <laughs> I'm frowning. Um, yeah, I think also it's worth noting that um, Victory announced in the lead-up to the game they had signed Gabby Garton. Um, I was really excited about this. She was um, excellent in the... 2021 season how t- time flies oh my god anyway um and uh for those who don't know so she uh took a step back to for maternity leave to have a baby which is um amazing and great to see that she's able to come back into the fold at this stage but yeah like a couple of minutes into the game she was subbed off I think with a head knock um and so that would have I think rattled things a little bit for victory I'm not actually sure how many goals they were down at that stage actually yeah so that was about 30 30 minutes in so I think I don't know as a fan I was I was a bit shaken by that because um yeah Gabby's fantastic and she's got a lot of experience behind her which I think Templeman has been thrown in the deep end a little bit this season with an injury to Casey Jimon and has re- has had really big shoes to fill. I'm just thinking, for example, the game that Victory played against Canberra United. They did get a win, but Jumont was absolutely on fire and her performance was the reason why they got a win. Like Jumont, and that's not, again, not to disregard Templeman and what she's putting out there, but, yeah, like I said, huge shoes to fill. So, yeah, that was... Um, I think changed the texture of the game a bit, but honestly, like I, I think you nailed it on the head, Sam. Like, yeah, their defense was really slow, and that's kind of understandable in some of the other games um, that happened this weekend. And we, we'll we'll get to that in terms of like the, the weather um, and the environment the players are in. But Melbourne was absolutely stunning on Thursday, so I don't, I like Amy Park glorious like I, so I, I just I, I, maybe it's a curse I'm not sure um but yeah it it's a strange one and it's, it's yeah I, I don't I don't want to think about it anymore let's wrap this up Marissa come on Angela's like I have officially hit my I pretend I do not see it wall and I don't want to participate anymore. I did want to just, speaking of goalkeepers, like you said, awesome to see Gabby back. Don't love that Casey Dumont has some sort of illness, but, you know, um, Sydney FC also had a placement keeper in Talia Franco in. So, like, it, it should have foreshadowed that there was going to be a little bit of chaos, I suppose, in this game. But I really wanted to talk about was Miranda Templeman. I have, I hate to use an Americanism, but she showed that she has that dog in her. Her reactions to saving, particularly the second penalty, just yeah. she was like, um, I was also thinking of, and this could be niche, it could be not, 
I don't know if any of you remember, it was uh, like pro bowling and this man has scored a, scored a strike. That's not the correct name. This man strike. did a strike. We know sports. <laughs> did a strike. I love bowling, obviously. Um, <laughs> listen to my other podcast, The Tenth Pin. Um, <laughs> this man did a strike and he won some sort of championship and he was given it big and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, who do you think you are? I am. And it's one oh of the funniest yes! things yes! I've ever seen in my life. Um, an NFL player used it after his team went to the Super Bowl over the last couple of days, which I think you can watch on ESPN. Um, and I just, that's that was the vibe Miranda Templeman was giving me after these penalty saves. That was very long-winded, but we got there in the end. It was just that real like, yeah, yeah who, who do you think you are? I am. Um, so, like, I loved to see that from her because as Angela said, she's been like consistently thrown in the deep end basically every time she's made an appearance this season. And it was good to see that she was able to step up and she does have that kind of fight and aggro little dog in her, to, to yeah. put it somewhat politely. So I enjoyed seeing that. I did. I enjoyed seeing Courtney Vine do well. I enjoyed seeing Princess Sabini do well, particularly since we've got Matilda's Cup of Nations squad coming up very shortly by the seams of it. Um, mm-hmm. It was good to see all of these players hitting some level of form because I think they had been perfectly fine in the lead-up to this game but really put it on um, on Thursday. So it was good to see them actually putting in a performance that makes you think, okay, yes, we are in, you know, sort of Matilda's conversations here. So there were lots of really enjoyable things from this game, lots of really weird things from this game, but I have no explanations beyond that, basically. I do have one theory, and that Mm -hmm. is about um, the length of time between games for both of the teams. So Sydney hadn't played a game uh, since their game against Western, which was on the 11th of January. Do you remember the 11th of January? It feels like it was 10 decades ago, whereas Melbourne Victory came off a game five days earlier than that. So they Sydney had much more time to get fresh, to get fit, to recover from niggles, to recover from fatigue. And they looked really fresh against Victory on Thursday. They looked really sharp. They looked like they had had some time to chill and rest and train and do all the sort of stuff that pros should be doing. Whereas victory did not seem that way at all. They seemed the opposite. And when you look back to the performances that Sydney put out against Western, they just came back, I think like four days later from that win over Newcastle. So they only had a short space of time to back up to then play Western, which is potentially why they looked really slow and really tired, you know? So thinking about this sort of stuff in that, larger like context of the format of the league I think is also pretty important and taking into consideration how much time these teams actually have to figure out this sort of stuff off the field and to address any um, sort of physical ailments that they may be facing. Um, So unfortunately that's probably not going to um, get much better for the rest of the season because so many bloody games have been postponed due to heat, uh, due to uh, other kinds of ridiculous reasons probably going forward as well, um, which maybe is a nice segue, Marissa, into uh, one of the uh, other chaotic games of the round. You're going to have to be more specific because I feel like <laughs> both of the other games were equally chaotic and 
equally heat affected. Like it was, it was yeah. toasty in Brisbane and it was toasty in Canberra. So please, pick your own adventure. Which game would you like to talk about next? Let's let's talk about Canberra because Canberra, um, yeah, <laughs> bad weekend for Angela. Sorry, Angela, back-to-back devastating games that you're going to have to analyse. It's fine. (laughs) It's my lot. I'll accept it. (laughs) So, Canberra, nil. Western United, five. Five goal first half. Just absolute rampaging Western United. And, of course, as we all know, a 5 nil loss is bad in isolation but I can only imagine it really stings when your last result was also a 5-0 loss so um let's talk about this because I think respectfully we don't really need to talk about Western United in this context because we know that they've been capable of you know putting on a big score all of their kind of stars were really really working well I tweeted it that you know they've lost Jess McDonald because she's gone back uh to the US her guest contract is done Stacey Papadopoulos is unfortunately injured and in their place they've brought in Angie Beard who we know is absolutely fantastic at this level and Danielle Steer who we didn't really know much about but they literally combined for the first goal so it's like Western and Western United you guys are fine everything's fine everything's ticking along nicely there so we don't really need to talk about this game from a Western United perspective um but we need to talk about it from the Canberra one because back-to-back 5-0 losses bad basically um what's going on what's happening why uh to re-up friend of the pod tom's question from last week is back-to-back five nil losses a sackable offense for popovich what where are we kind of at with where canberra's at i don't know i don't know i have not i have no answer i know um to be honest like they they weren't completely out of the game, but I think um, Teresa Polias was on special comms on the broadcast, and I think she kind of summed it up well in terms of the first half. The diagnosis was definitely there didn't seem to be, as we saw, like Sydney came, like, you know, Sydney got embarrassed, they came out, they responded, and they had drive, and they were able to, you know, it seemed like they were able to translate Um, that into a positive result whereas Canberra seemed to have dropped their heads a little bit Um, they finish it like they did have a few chances in the first half that were relatively I I think relatively substantial but um, yeah they just their finishing wasn't great this I think yeah like for example there were a couple of shots that went way over the crossbar or weren't on target or that kind of thing so obviously yeah they've been rattled and stayed rattled after the Wellington result and I I I don't really know how yeah you kind of how you're meant to regroup um from a coaching perspective and and get players back on track and and get them in the right headspace um I don't really yeah I'm not sure what what the best approach is there but then come the second half Western had you know Western just sat back and passed the ball around and conserved their energy. And by that point, you know, everyone was kind of lagging um, in terms of energy. But, yeah, Canberra just weren't able to 
find a way in. Um, yeah, suppose mm, uh, tactically, I'm not too. I feel like they're probably like they they seem to play too high, and they got caught out quite a few times there. Um, and they don't have like this. Well, <laughs> yeah, they don't have this speediest defense either so like for example Hannah Keane was able to just she did retire Chloe Lincoln that was really painful to watch um yeah and they're little as well quite a lot of the Cambria United players when they you compare (laughs) them to a Western United who are just able to muscle them off the ball a lot yeah so yeah it's there's just a few different things going on there but um they're able to win games. So, uh, uh, like, Canberra United showed at the start of the season, they're able to score score bangers and, and play um, exciting football. So maybe maybe we did actually curse them. I'm starting to think when we um, spoke so highly of their, their attacking trio in Flannery yeah. and in Milivojevic and Heyman. I think, yeah, we, d- we did something there. Sorry, Canberra. It's us. Where the problem. I mean, it is. It's, anyway, it's Vesna Milivojevic actually said after the game or the day after the game that <clears throat> she she thinks that they need to get back to what they were doing at the start of the season because that's when they were performing really well. Like they had some good draws, they had some good wins. They seemed quite um, convincing when they were going forward. And I mean, maybe it's been the sort of change of personnel uh, that's maybe started to cause some issues, like Nikki Flannery's sort of made way for their Chinese international woo, and they haven't really done very much from what I can see. Um, but even then, like, yeah, there's seemed to have been sort of like a tactical change where they just seem to get so stretched. Grace Ma has sort of disappeared from midfield. Don't know what's been happening there. Um, like she's, she's been there still, but she just hasn't been doing anything. Same as Laura Hughes. She hasn't really been the sort of feisty defensive midfielder who's really physical in challenges that we tend to sort of know her for. Um, and you're right, Angela, like their back line, they're small and they're pretty slow. And so they're really vulnerable on the counter. A lot of the goals that they've scored in the last two, although that they've conceded rather than the last two games have been in transition. Um, and physically, I mean, like Ellie Brush got muscled off the ball by Hannah Keane and Hannah Keane like yeah she's a, a tall physical strong American but also it's Ellie Brush she's like AFLW like she's no pushover so yeah it's 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 a, it's kind of bizarre it seems to have just been sort of a um like a failure at multiple levels of the of the field in terms of the front line is just like not clicking anymore the midfield seems to have gotten a bit wobbly and the back line is just really slow um, and I feel just feel bad for Chloe Lincoln as well, especially the fact that she had to front up to the media the next day and she was asked all about this stuff after just conceding five goals, the poor dear. Um, so, yeah, so now, like, gosh, what do you do if you're Canberra? Do you shake it up? Do you just bring on totally new players? Do you try and stick with what you've got? Do you go with a new formation? Do you, like, what do you what do? You do? They've conceded 11 goals in three games. Like, it's pretty extraordinary. And they're tumbling down the ladder at the moment considering the rise of the wanderers so you know it's it's squeaky bum time maybe getting to that point but luckily they've got a couple more games because of the extended season to try and figure it out the fact that they've got newcastle coming up this weekend that becomes a real like desperation derby because the jets yeah haven't been particularly 
hot either. So uh, both will absolutely be gunning for a win. And and they um, beat the Jets team... 5-1 like a couple of rounds ago. So they should be going into that game feeling really confident and try and use it as probably the platform to like remind themselves how it feels to score goals. Mm-hmm. Also just like not conceding would probably feel absolutely fantastic yeah. for Canberra at the moment. Um, but the, the I suppose the the secondary part of this game that we absolutely need to talk about it's basically an early boot um it was hot in Canberra it was like seven inches from the midday sun hot in Canberra um and it was revealed after the game that two Western United players had to be treated at the ground for for heat exhaustion for heat stroke um and game was played at 3pm in Canberra. There were meant to be a couple of other games, as is the kind of usual uh, dub thing now of having a few Saturday 3pm kickoffs. But um, the Western Sydney-Newcastle game had to be pushed back to 5.30 because it was also so hot. Uh, even when they did kick off at 5.30, there were two drinks breaks per half, which is always a good indicator that it's probably too hot to be playing football. Um, so we have to talk about the heat, which... We have been talking about all season, to be fair. This isn't the first time we've had players, um, you know, treated for heat exhaustion. This isn't the first time we've seen, like, we've literally seen the kind of lethargy that playing in the heat has made players feel. That was a terrible sentence, but you guys know what I mean. Um, and this this uh, Canberra game in particular seemed to really rile up people on social media because it just seemed like... Maybe not the the straw that broke the camel's back, but something was pushed over the edge after this game where everyone was like, is this the best we can do? Is this really how we're going to continue playing football in this country? So how are you guys feeling? I suppose we've had a couple of days now and I feel like there's been a, a lot of chat on social media about what's right, what's wrong, how we should be talking about it, how we should be playing. So how are you guys both feeling about the, the heat discussion that we always seem to have in the dub. It's infuriating. You know, it's infuriating because it's predictable. It is so predictable. It, we, th- this thing, this has been happening for season upon season upon season. We've had the same issues and it's only been getting worse because climate change is making Australian summers worse. And considering the forecasts at the moment, like the long-term forecasts, are that particularly the next three years are going to see a, like a flip around in terms of El Nino and El Nino, meaning the next three Australian summers are going to be blisteringly hot. This needs to be addressed now because heat stress affecting players in a a season like this, which is actually pretty mild for an Australian summer, is already concerning. And if it gets to the point where a player has a more serious health issue or if a player is actually hospitalised or if a player is killed because of this, that is going to be a genuine, like, serious problem. So the thing for me at the moment, particularly when it comes to this game, is is the heat policy that the APL have at the moment doing its job? Based on the game that we saw, based on the players who spoke afterwards, based on the experience of fans and match officials and coaches and, hell, even the ball kids, the answer is no. The heat policy, as it stands, is not adequate because what we saw in that game were people suffering. And if that's the case, the policy needs to change, not the game. 
not the players, not anything else, it's the policy. So that hopefully is going to be something that's addressed. Um, I know at the moment this week that the APL are going to be having a conversation with PFA, Players Union, after a number of players expressed concern to them after this game about health and safety. Um, and like bigger questions and bigger conversations need to be had, I think, by people like us, people in the community, talking about what are the, the various sort of factors that are at play here as well. Like there's a sort of a theory floating around that the reason it kicked off at 3 p.m. is because it was a broadcast game. Um, and what's, uh, what would be the sort of financial or viewership ramifications of postponing a broadcast game because of the heat? Um, but the counterpoint to that is, well, if you play a broadcast game in such terrible conditions, you're not going to have a very good product anyway, and hardly anyone is going to attend because it's so bloody hot, so the stands are going to be empty, and what kind of spectacle is that on television anyway? So there are all these kinds of things, I think, floating around, And but ultimately what needs to be central is the safety of the players. Um, even though there weren't players taken to hospital, there were players who were seen by medical staff on both teams, there were referees who had to be checked by medical staff as well. Um, and there were probably fans who, you know, woke up the next day being like, oh, I don't feel so great. You know, heat stress can manifest in lots of different ways. Um, and, you know, we spoke to Hannah Keane on the, in a special episode of the pod yesterday and she said that it was really difficult and that it, it takes longer to recover after playing a game in conditions like that than what it usually does. And speaking of Vesna Milivojevic, she was asked about it as well during the media conference the following day. And here's what she said. I think she made some really good points and she made them very concisely, which I really respect. So this is a quote. Um, I think it's pretty stupid, to be honest, to be playing at 3 p.m. in the middle of an Australian summer. Hopefully that can be changed. It definitely changes the game and the amount of high-intensity actions you can make. It's not an excuse. Both teams have to face the heat. But I think night games are like a good idea. The men do it too. They play at the same time as us during the year, but they play 7 p.m. kickoffs. I don't know why we have to play at 3 p.m. And I think it deters a lot of fans from coming who would want to be sitting out in that heat with their kids. Like, that's it, right? All of that is is in there. And there's the double standards with the men's games being uh, played at cooler temperatures. Um, there is the, the question of the spectacle of the game itself, the quality of the game and safety of the players. Like, all of that stuff points in the direction of this cannot continue to happen. It is very, very clear now. We have so much evidence now. And the predictions of forecasts going forward is that this is going to continue to happen. So if something doesn't change, if the policy doesn't change, um, if there isn't a situation where, you know, no more 3 p.m. kickoffs um, or if, you know, the, the, the um, sort of temperature gauges in the policy need to be brought down because clearly it still affects players even if they're not hitting the exact policy temperatures that are written down somewhere by the APL, there's going to be uproar. Um, and I will very happily lead the the chorus and light my torch and carry my pitchfork. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, not much to add there, but I do wonder in terms of the broadcast, uh, it's unfortunate that the, I think I've mentioned this on previous pods, the dub zone time slot is 3 p.m. And so like the selling point of dub zone yeah. as a product is that it's simultaneous kickoffs did make me giggle that they had like they had the graphic this round promoting it 
and they were like simultaneous kickoffs like obviously whichever media person was doing it I'm not judging them I've made I've I've had a nightmare this week with typos and sending out emails and incorrect information but it made me good because it said simultaneous kickoff and it was just like the one game anyway but that that seems to be a thing possibly like the 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 show that they're investing in the APL and we're investing in and, and putting great talent on and that kind of thing. That's got the simultaneous kickoff thing and it's at 3 PM, the worst kickoff time. Um, mm. Yeah. And the Cambrian, like, so I feel like that must be some kind of driver for these conversations, but it's like, I don't really understand why that's a point of negotiation. And again, understandably like it, it's a faff around if a game's rescheduled and people are planning to go and then their plans change. But I think the overarching point is like at the start of the season when they're doing the fixtures and they're planning all of this stuff, 3 p.m. kickoffs shouldn't be in the conversation. I just like, like you said, like, like you said, Sam, it's going to get worse, but we also have pretty consistent historical records of 3 p.m. kickoffs sucking balls i just don't anyway sorry sorry mickey mouse sorry but yeah i feel like a broken record but that's the like this isn't the first time we've talked about this on the pod and i went and i did some research and it made me giggle because i was going basically through aap because they cover every game so there was a lot of times i'm reading a match report from our very own anna harrington and i'm like yes i trust her she know she would know she would write the correct things we've had at least 10 games i think it is or something ridiculous like that that have been postponed or pushed back because of the heat and like that proactiveness is obviously good but it's not enough um you know the talk from the APL how their heat policy is you know even uh like even higher standards and more yeah the word broke broke my brain it's you know they're held to a higher standard than like the FIFA heat policy I was like yeah as it should be how many other places in the world are playing football in an environment like an Australian summer. Of course ours should be more stringent. Like that's a no-brainer. And it it blew my tiny mind that that was even a discussion point. Like of course it should be more stringent than kind of the global standard. Um, And then AAP also reported that, you know, venue availability and broadcast considerations were a big part in sort of the scheduling and whatnot. And even you, Sam, you know, you're talking about how the broadcast, that's the broadcast lot. We're not on TV. The dub isn't yeah. on TV. We are not in a way beholden to the the tightness of the TV schedule because we're not on TV. Um, so I, like, obviously there's something in the contract with Paramount Plus, with Template, whatever, that means they have this 3 p.m. Saturday slot that they want to fill with football come hell or high water. Um, and it's just disappointing that, that's going to continue but the football that we're actually filling that slot with isn't the best it could possibly be because it's not being it's not being given the chance to succeed because it's being done in an environment that just doesn't allow for good football like yeah. as Vesna Milivojevic said like the conditions aren't there for the best possible football 
it's really funny. I was listening back to the the chat you guys did with Hannah Keen and she was saying how, you know, Australian football, you have a lot of time on the ball. And I was thinking about it then, obviously, because I had been thinking about the heat and everything. I'm like, well, yeah, you wouldn't want your team pressing in these conditions because what an energy sapping kind of play mm. that would be. So, like, of course, in my mind, I was like, yeah, of course you've got more time on the ball here in Australia because no one's going to press you unless you know that you're playing at night or you're playing in a kind of good temperature um, where you're not going to kind of kill yourself from pressing for however many minutes. So there's just, there's, there's so many factors and the fact that we keep talking about it is really frustrating. And the, a lot of people then seem to come to the consensus that like, you know, if it was really that bad, the PFA would be really kicking up a stink and stuff. And I definitely don't want to accuse the PFA of not looking out for players because I don't think that and that's not what I'm saying. But I just feel overall, if you presented all of this kind of information to a normal person, like they would be like, it sounds like it's a bit too hot to be playing football. Like it just passed the pub test for me at the moment. Like speaking to my family who are, not in the soccer Twitter weeds. I'm explaining this to them and they're like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't sound great. That doesn't sound right at all, to be honest. So um, there's just, yeah, I think it's just a lot of frustration from a lot of different people that it's so obvious something needs to change, but it also feels just as obvious that nothing is going to change because of um, forces bigger than, all of us, if that makes sense, not in a God kind of sense, but in like a, um, you know, the, the broadcast deal and the obligations that AP, the APL has to the broadcasters and whatnot, um, that's going to be what kind of keeps us playing football at 3pm, which is deeply annoying. So, um, I seem to remember, do, do you all remember this? So I, maybe I am just making this up in my own imagination, but I feel like it was last season or the season before where when the APL released or the A-League released the draw for the competition, there was a specific um, line that they used to sort of market the season saying there wouldn't be any women's games before 4pm or 4.30pm. I seem like I seem to remember this for some reason in my head that it was one of their, like, oh, this isn't this a great thing for the women's game? Like, we're not going to have any 3pm games. There was, like, one or two 3pm games because of, like, logistical issues, but it was, like, a thing that I remember them talking about. And I was like, this is great because summers and, you know, this is something we've been dealing with for ages. So the fact that they've come out and said, okay, we're not going to have any more games before that kickoff before 430 that's a that's a big deal. That's maybe the reason why it's sort of buried in my head somehow. Or am I just making this up? Am I being, am I insane? I have a vague recollection of that, I think. Yeah, right? Unless unless we've all, like, collectively Bernstein bearsed ourselves or whatever <laughs> the what, – what's the, the phenomenon that where everyone yeah, yeah, just – Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> it is, yeah. I reckon that's we'll, – we'll Google that. But I – or, like, people looked at the fixture and were like, hey, nothing seems to be – like, maybe it wasn't – purposefully announced but people looked at the fixture and were like hey everything seems to be in the later part of the day cool i like that anywho 
So like it's not it's not impossible is what I'm saying. Mm. You know? Like it's not yeah. it's not a an absolute necessity that this needs to happen. And as you said, Marissa, which is a really important point, we're not on TV. So we're not beholden to like commercial responsibilities. We're not beholden to particular kinds of broadcasting formats. Even the dub zone, like just make it later. Like, you know, make it later on a on a Saturday or a Sunday. Like who cares? It's a digital TV show. Like you can do it whenever you want. You can record it at any time you want and broadcast it later. This is the whole thing about digital formats. Like, it's just so frustrating. And it's and I'm just like, and the players just they give everything. You know, they give fucking everything to this league. They do as much as they can every game to make this the thing that the APL wants it to be. And they are get they get chucked into a game like this where it's 35 degrees, there's hardly anybody there, and they're told to go out and play. And, you know, just like what more can they do? What more do you want from them? They are trying so hard to make this competition as good as it can be, and yet you are creating circumstances in which they cannot do that. Like it's, it's ugh, yeah, again, infuriating. One final thing I wanted to say before we move on to other things, because we could re- we could do a whole like hour and a half long episode about the heat if we really wanted to, but we don't. Um, I also just, I really liked Vesna's point that most of the men's games are later in the evening or night games. And I would like, why can't we have Friday night dub? Why can't we have Saturday night dub? You can't tell me that wouldn't be good. But it is worth acknowledging as well that there have been some men's games in the afternoon and they have been just as physically exhausted. The coaches have also come out very, very strongly in saying that these conditions aren't good for football regardless of gender. And I hate that there's a small part of me that's like, if the men keep experiencing this, maybe something will change because more people get more angry about this when it affects the men's game, even though it affects the game as a whole in Australia. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I assume we'll talk about the heat some more as this season progresses. But let's go back to some more fun, chaotic dub because we need to lift the mood in here basically. So the final chaotic game of this round was Brisbane 3, Wellington 3. Just Coco Bananas, absolutely Coco Bananas. I really thought Wellington could win this game, like even before they uh, stepped foot on the pitch, they had to overcome some some things and some stuff before they even got to Brisbane. Their flight was delayed for reasons out of their control. We also hope everyone in Auckland is doing all right because the flash flooding over there, very terrifying. Um but, yeah, so, you know, Wellington couldn't even get to Brisbane on time. The game had to be pushed back a day. There were all these kind of circumstances and factors. They get to the game. Jake Taylor gets sent off very early. They're down two goals. And then it genuinely looked that for most of the second half, they could well win. Wellington were up 3-2. We thought they were up 4-3, but that very last goal to Mickey Robertson got, like, chalked off. So the chaos of this kind of... Well, the question that I draw from this chaos is what does this draw actually tell us about these two teams? How do how does each team kind of feel after leaving with a shared point but three goals scored, three goals conceded? It's interesting, isn't it? Like they, they sort of feel like not mirror images of each other, but they sort of have the same like energy about them where 
either Brisbane or Wellington can have an absolute blinder of a game or they can have an absolute disaster of a game and you would not be surprised by either. You know what I mean? Like, and this this just was just one of those like cancelling each other out types of like forces type of games. It was very strange. I I, I watched it to do the, the Dolan Moran um, award points and I, there were so many players who were very good and so many players who were also very bad. And it was just, it was just this strange like parallel of both of these teams doing the same thing and somehow cancelling each other out, but also bringing out the best in each other. It was, yeah, it was again, just chaos. Just didn't understand it. And, but massive, massive credit to Wellington to be able to come back from two goals down and a player down as well. And not just any player, but Kate Taylor, who's been one of the best centre backs in the whole league and to potentially even have won the game with that last minute goal that was chalked off for what I would, I think it's still like, if you watch the replays, I don't know if it was offside, but maybe it was the angle of the single camera that we had access to, but it, I feel, it feels like when the ball was released, she was probably in line, but anyway, it doesn't matter now um, for them to, to come back and do that off the back of that incredible win over Canberra back at home in Wellington last week as well. Um, it's, it's just a sort of another um, feather in the cap, I suppose. Like, yeah, they didn't get the three points, but like they showed what they can do in really challenging circumstances as a team. Um, and you had some really good players step up and really take control of that moment. I think like Grace Wisniewski, I think was excellent. Millie Clegg was excellent. Um, and like Michaela Foster, like where has she come from? She's just this incredible set piece taker. Like that goal that she scored from 10 billion meters away, which just happened to like fall beautifully into the corner of the net. I was like, where did that come? Like, who are you? It's just, yeah, it's one. I'm seeing the New Zealand football journalists being like, she should be in the football fans. Like, what the hell? It's like, yeah, she's like one of the best set piece takers in the whole dub now. And it's, she's only sort of been around for a blip. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's for Brisbane, I think it's sort of, maybe a good um, reminder that they are able to score goals as well. I was glad to see Larissa Crummer get on the score sheet finally after a long time, um, even though it was sort of a bit of a tap in, but that's what she's known for. It's what she's good at and, you know, feels good to score a goal. Um, Minnie was naturally very, very good. Um, and Shay Connors, as you said at the top, Marissa as well, I think was was probably one of her better games as well, um, being able to actually utilise her strengths and getting behind the defence a lot of the time, get on the ball, get on those long balls, those transition balls, um, and show what she um, was really good at in previous seasons, I think was really nice. Um, yeah, again, just fucking chaos. I don't know. I'd probably be a bit grumpy if I was Brisbane and I came away from that with a draw, though. Like, but I, I do appreciate, I like how kind of Wellington's vibe at the moment just seems to be like, fuck it, like, let's do it, whatever. Because they didn't, going down a player didn't stop them from playing like their their style of football. It didn't stop them playing progressive football. 2-0 down, you'd think that maybe you would want to sit back a little bit and just kind of, minimize the damage as much as possible but they did the opposite and they really took it to Brisbane and I think maybe Brisbane got a bit startled or confused by that um because yeah they really didn't have too many substantial opportunities oh no that's actually a lie I take that back they hit the crossbar twice which is another weird thing that happened so two great 
shots from Nori and Gori, uh, Gori and Nori um, bounced off the underside of the crossbar in the second half. And that was just like, I mean, but again, by that stage, Wellington had crept so much closer and like, I think we're in the lead as well. So it's just, it's a bizarre very bizarre situation. I don't quite understand Brisbane Raw at the moment um, because on paper, I think that they look like a great team and they have so many great players as well. Um, but I'm just unsure if they're being utilised in the best positions. Uh, like I don't know. I don't really see someone like a Holly Palmer as like a winger or I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure what's going on, um, but yeah, for for Wellington to come back like that, the goal line clearance from Wisniewski was incredible. Um, they just have, I think they've kind of refound their pluck a little bit. It took a little while, but the introduction of like some of these new faces and people like Clegg and Foster um, have brought like something a little bit different to the table. And yeah, they just seem to be playing with a bit more I don't know what's I don't know what the word would be but not fighting expectation I don't know if that's they don't they're playing without pressure around them um yeah so good good for good for Wellington and yeah Yeah, I I didn't know that last goal either um the camera didn't really catch the angle I was so Mm. sad about it because it was such a good, like, ball, like, an assist as well. Um, I also just, I really enjoyed, so Grace Grace Wisniewski's goal. I shouted, shoot Farkin, and then she did. Mm -hmm. And then she scored. So I felt very powerful. Like, like I conjured something. Um, But also just, like, the last 10 minutes, there were, like, just passages of play from the Knicks where I was, like, this is the football that we saw at the back end of last season from them. So it just, it seems to be the, you know, we've only got two seasons worth of evidence, but the Knicks seem to really need time to kind of gel. But once they do, they are absolutely capable of playing really attractive, good football. Um, You know, I went back and looked, they won game of last season in round 11. So it doesn't surprise me that we're at the sort of similar kind of marking this season where things have started to come together for them. Um, But, yeah, now it's just about how much further can they go? What more can they kind of do? Can they get themselves off the bottom of the ladder? We are going to find out. But, yeah, it was just it was nice to have in amongst all the kind of crap of this particular round of football, we also just got some pure chaotic dub like it's nice to be reminded that yes this is why we watch this league because it's fun and we get to see good football and we get to see chaotic football and sometimes it's really really fantastic um all right so we've already done a boot kind of thing there were other bootable things but sometimes we've got to keep this show moving so let's wrap up with some how good sam hit us with a how good Yes, so my how good is that the worst kept secret, I think, of the Matildas at the Women's World Cup is finally out, and that is that their opening game against the Republic of Ireland has been moved to Stadium Australia, which is the biggest stadium that's going to be used in the tournament. It's over 83,000 seats 
in terms of its capacity, um, which is almost double the amount that it was going to be originally at the Sydney Football Stadium, which is so awesome. FIFA have finally confirmed that they've moved it um, because of the overwhelming demand for tickets. And uh, anyone listening has probably experienced this when you go onto the website to not just this game, but to a lot of games. It says that it's sold out. Um, but I want to reassure everyone listening that no games have sold out, not even the final. It's just that that particular window of allocations has been exhausted. So as a result of this move, which took a huge amount of negotiation and logistical work between FIFA and the various stadiums and stakeholders and all this sort of thing, um, they're going to be FIFA are going to be releasing a second additional ticket window, which starts at midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time on the 24th of February. Uh, it's going to run until I think early March, so you're not very long at all, only about two weeks. Um, so you're going to be able to buy tickets not just to the Matildas vs Republic of Ireland game, but to all of the games. It's going to be an additional window for all games, which is awesome. So that window wasn't originally planned, but because of this stadium move, they they have another. 40,000 tickets to sell for this particular game. So they're going to open up a new one, which is great. Um, so make sure you subscribe to like all the FIFA channels and, and email alerts and stuff to make sure you know exactly when and where to go when those uh, that, those windows um, open. So that's going to be the first window. And then there's going to be a second final sales window in uh, April, I believe, uh, which is going to be sort of a last minute sort of scramble for any tickets that are left over. So this, it's just fucking fab. I'm just like, I'm so thrilled that this is something that's happened. It's really, it's a really good um, sort of move from FIFA as well, because, you know, they're all about wanting to make this the biggest and best Women's World Cup ever. This is exactly the kind of moment that they need. It could potentially set a new home attendance record for the Matildas um, by a, a good couple tens of thousands of people as well. Currently sits at about 36,000 people when the USA came down under for a friendly series in November of 2021. Um, so it could it could more than double that. It, it could be extraordinary. So go and get your tickets. Go and watch the game. Go and watch all the games. Uh, it's going to be amazing. And credit to FIFA and to everyone involved on finally making the move happen. How good. It was such a big how good. And I asked FIFA like immediately. I was like, has this ever happened before? Has a game ever had to be moved due to just like pure demand for tickets? And they're of the belief that, no, this has never happened yeah. in the history of Women's World Cup. So um, we're huge, we're enormous, and you will not hear me say this ever again, but get up to Sydney, go to, go have a great time <laughs> up in Sydney watching the opening game because it, it's going to be a phenomenal, just it's like the entire vibe at the stadium absolutely incredible also really good to see that there'll be a bigger allocation then for Irish fans because I saw a couple of Irish journos mm. basically saying that they weren't particularly pleased about the allocation that they had received when the game was still at the SFS so good yeah. to see that we'll actually have a bit more of an away vibe as well so I just it's going to be such a good day it's going to I'm so so excited but I think that they're on that very happy positive note so thank you again for tuning in and for listening to us chat if you haven't already we have that chat with Hannah Keen available out ready for you to listen in the world as always you can find all our stuff on espn.com.au and the ESPN app as well as Spotify Apple Google all of the usual pod stop pod spots rather uh subscribe leave reviews if you like what we're doing if you want to have a chat to us we're at the far post pod on all social media but until next time see you.